morning and welcome to the Vine Community Church. It is great to have you join us today. We're going to start by going into some worship. So can I encourage you to still yourself, to take up an attitude of worship, whatever that is for you, and to sing to our God. Of the broken to life. It's from Psalm 32, and it's verse 1. And it says, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Do you know, if you were going to memorize one verse, and we're going to say it every morning as you get out of bed, I think that would be a good one. It reminds us that every day we can start afresh. It doesn't matter what's happened the day before. We can start in a good place with God because we are forgiven and our sin is covered. It is a brilliant verse for everyday life. A life where things do not always go as planned and we do not react always in the way that we would like to. Last Tuesday was Pancake Day, and that makes today the first Sunday of Lent, the period that leads up to Holy Week and that final and triumphant event that takes place at the cross. As we go through Lent, we often visit the Gospels, and we go through the stories that lead up to that event. Today we're going to do just that. We're going to look at one of the events in the life of Jesus that come before the cross. We're going to start in Luke 4. And this is immediately after Jesus was baptised by John the Baptist and was affirmed by his father. Luke 4, 1-13. If you've got a Bible, grab it, open it, follow along. Then Jesus left the Jordan, full of the Holy Spirit, and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. For 40 days to be tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and when they were over, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones, to become bread. But Jesus answered him, It is written, Man must not live on bread alone. So he took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. The devil said to him, I will give you this splendor and all this authority because it has been given over to me and I can give it to anyone I want. If you then will worship me, all will be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So he took him to Jerusalem, had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will give his angels orders concerning you to protect you and they will support you with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone 
And then Jesus answered him, It is said, Do not test the Lord your God. After the devil had finished every temptation, he departed from him for a time. It's clear from that story that Jesus did not give into temptation. But we know that in real life, for us, that's not that easy. The enemy attacks at the places we are weakest. And in that story, we see three of the places that all humans appear to be weak for temptation. Just as a side note before we move into that though, can I just point out the last line in, in that, uh, that passage that says this, after the devil had finished every temptation, he departed from him for a time. It's so easy to go through life thinking, oh, well, Jesus was, had these three temptations in the wilderness, but they're not the temptations I've got. The devil was with him and tempted him with every temptation. We have three recounted, but it doesn't mean that Jesus wasn't subject to all the temptations that are common to man and woman. If we go and have a look at those places that are highlighted, we see they centre around independence, making our own way and provision rather than trusting God. Jesus was tempted to turn stones into bread, something I have no doubt he could have done. But Jesus pointed out that making our own way instead of relying on God is not the thing to do. Now that's not to say that you're to, to give up work and, and, and sit around and just keep going, God feed me, God feed me, God feed me. That, that's not what this means in this context, unless you are particularly called to, to move into some form of mission that in, in means you have to live by faith. But it does mean that we don't keep moving on and pushing God out. We shouldn't go through our lives working out all of our strategies and, and working out all of our self-help when God is waiting there ready to extend a hand and help each of us. And that's the next thing that gets lifted up. This whole idea of power, of placing ourselves before others and before God. Jesus was offered all of the lands of the world that Satan had been given. Not sure Satan had the right to say he'd been given that or to pass it on to somebody else. But that's often a tactic of the enemy, using lies to confuse and to deceive. But one of our tactics in life is to try and puff ourselves up and be the most important. To be more important than the people that are around us. To judge those that are around us instead of looking on them with the compassion that God looks at people with. We get to the point where we become, or things we have, become more important than God. It's amazing how things push out time with our Father. The third temptation that's noted is one of control. 
Jesus was tempted to throw himself off the temple so that it would cause the angels to come and save him. Controlling people instead of serving is something that we are called not to do. In fact, if we go and unpick the whole, the whole idea of controlling people in the biblical sense, it's one of the worst things that can be done because it speaks of slavery and it speaks of, it speaks of rebellion. Those three temptations seem common in the world. If we look across celebrity, if we look across um, politicians, if we look across our neighbours, if we look in a mirror, we can see those things to a greater or lesser extent. This world is full of temptation. Genesis 4-7 says, If you do what is right, won't you be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Genesis makes it clear that the, the whole idea of being tempted into doing things wrong, into sin, and let's be clear what that means, that's anything that separates us from God, anything that gets in the way of us being who God called us to be, his adopted children. That is there in the world. It's been there since the fall of man. And it's waiting to ensnare us. But we are able to overcome it. And we are able to rule over it. And the Bible is a great help in that. It gives us some, some fantastic advice about how we can deal with temptation. If we turn to James, in James 4, verses 7 to 8, it says, Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. What's he telling us to do? Stop listening to the lies of the enemy. Come to God. Spend time with him. Focus on him. Get yourself right with God and have a clear view. You know, we find all sorts of practical advice in the, way, in the Bible about ways to master temptation. And knowing the word of God is a great defence. That's exactly what Jesus did in the wilderness. He quoted back to Satan, Scripture. Just little bits. He didn't, he didn't quote the whole book of Isaiah. That's not what we're being asked to do. We're not being told, memorize the whole of the Bible. Fantastic if you can do it. But there are certain key phrases, certain key passages, which are really, really good. Hebrews tells us, for the word of God is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, it is able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. When Paul is talking about the, the word of God in that context, he's not just talking about the words in the pages of this Bible, but he's talking about what happens when those words join with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the word of God. Those things in partnership 
are sharper than a two-edged sword. Knowing our scripture, knowing some key pieces that give us strength, that give us that pushback on, on the enemy, is really good. But you know, sometimes the practical advice we take is more physical. You know, one of the practical advices that the Bible gives us when we're tempted is to do as Joseph did and run. We read in chapter 39 of Genesis about Joseph. He's been captured and enslaved and he's now living in Potiphar's house where he's a trusted servant. He says this from verse 11. One day he, that's Joseph, went into the house to attend to his duties and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by the cloak, this is Potiphar's wife, and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in, in her hand and ran out of the house. He ran out, leaving possessions behind. Because sometimes taking care of ourselves means taking ourselves out of the situation it's the best thing we can do. Making the change in ourselves, setting our minds against temptation, and resolving to overcome it is fine, but sometimes the first step is to leave. Not hanging out in the places where those habits take place. Not associating with the people or keeping the objects that cause us to struggle. We're called instead to concentrate on things that do not lead us to a place where we fail. Philippians 4.8 says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honourable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence and if there is anything praiseworthy, Dwell on these things. All of that is really great advice. Understand that we are going to be tested. Understand that we are going to be tempted. Understand that we are able to overcome it. I understand that having scripture and taking some practical action is good advice. But you know, in most of our lives, things will still go wrong. We will still end up in situations where we sin, where we do the things that, that are not what we want to do, not what God wants us to do, and cause a problem between us and God. And I want to give you some really good advice about that. I've got six things, six things, <laughs> that, um, that I think are really helpful. The first one is that to be tempted and to fail is absolutely normal. It's humanly natural to get things wrong and fall into temptation. Psychologists tell us that we have a finite ability to resist temptation even when we desperately want to, 
It's the reason that breaking a habit like smoking is so hard. The Bible tells us that humans get it wrong and need to come back to God. If that was not the case, then Leviticus would not have been written because those numerous rituals would not have been put into the Old Testament to allow the people of God to come back into good standing when they had messed up. So one, it is natural. The second one is it's not just you. You are not the only person that this happens to. You're not the only person that will continue to be tempted and continue on occasion to fall. It's common to all believers around the world. We all face the same temptations. That's why that last line in that passage of Jesus being tempted in the wilderness is so encouraging because it was when he'd been tempted with all the temptations. Paul tells us this in 1 Corinthians. No temptation has come upon you except what is common to humanity. But God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way out so that you may be able to bear it. You may feel like your temptations, and temptations are greater than what others have to face. But you know that's probably not true. If you only knew how strongly other people are tempted to give in and to sin, you'd probably be shocked. Your desire to sin and the person next to you and the person a thousand miles away are very similar. You most of us face the same temptation. While the specifics may dish, differ from person to person, the passion and potential to continue giving in to temptation is, I'm afraid, universal. Romans 3.23 says, For we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Each one is tempted by the evil desire and is dragged away and enticed, James 1 to 4 says. It's not very encouraging so far, other than telling you that it's normal and it happens and you, it's not odd. We've not really delved into how to be helped in this. But I'm going to start with that on number three. And the third thing is when you're tempted and you, you fail, then don't blame God. Do not allow your hearts to be hardened towards God or be angry or resentful towards him. Either during the times of temptation or afterwards when you're feeling down because you've given in. Hardening our hearts moves us away from the source of our forgiveness. When we turn to God, we get a friend and a helper. When we push God aside, we, we just get the results of living beyond the divine boundaries God has established. We end up in that pity party. Number four, don't blame yourself. Well, don't blame yourself too much. It's easy to be disappointed and disheartened 
when things go wrong. This is natural. But it is your decision. And it's your decision whether you give in to temptation or not. But God doesn't leave it at that. He doesn't want you to wallow in the pity of your disappointment. It's God's desire for you to be right with him. So stop blaming yourself and act. If you want to get on the right track, you'll need to and you'll want to repent of your sin. Can I just be clear? Temptation's not a sin in its own right. Everybody's tempted. I hope we've made that clear in the previous passages. But giving in can be a sin. What we do when we're tempted can indeed be something that makes it difficult for us to come before our God. We need to acknowledge the sins we commit and we need to repent of them before God. And when we do, he forgives us. We can't ignore the wrong we do and act as if nothing's happened. But neither should we wallow in self-pity. We bring it to God and he forgives. End of. 1 John 1.19 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is not a come to God, confess your sins, and he'll think about it. This is a cast iron guarantee forged on that cross that when we come to God, his forgiveness is there. And that's number five. Forgiven means forgiven. 1 John 4.8 says God is love. Among other things, this means God is quick to forgive people on account of Jesus. He does not hold our sins against us when we trust in his Son. And God gives us a bright future, no matter how dark it has been in our past. The good news is that we can be forgiven. Jesus won't hold our sins against us as we turn to him. But that doesn't mean there won't be consequences in life if we do wrong. There's always going to be a consequence for our action. But that consequence is often in the natural world. Still, you go to prison. Get angry with people, you lose friends. But God forgives and steps in and cleanses us. The key to the repentance is turning away. We have a part to play in it. It's a small part. But it's this, to change as God helps us know him more. And that's not always going to be easy, and it's not always going to be something you're going to succeed at. But it is what we should aim for. If you keep choosing sin with no intent to change, that's simply rebellion. That's simply looking at that cross and devaluing everything that was done on it in your own life. 
because you're basically going, I don't need you, God. The flip side of that is the people that come to me and say, I've repented, but how do I truly know I've done that? How do I know I'm really sorry? It's a really interesting statement, and it reminds me of Catch-22 in the book by Joseph Hellier of the same name. If you know the book, you'll know that there's a, a phrase in it, a rule about pilots flying, that, that proves a point, the very point that it's trying to unprove. And the same is true here. The very act of going, have I truly repented, indicates your heart, indicates your intent to repent, and God knows your heart. I raise this because when we turn back to God to, try to, to be forgiven, a favorite trick of the enemy is to undermine that by whispering, you're not really sorry. You can't be forgiven. Don't listen to those lies. The blood of Jesus, his atoning sacrifice, has forgiveness that is more sufficient than anything you could do. We are called to change, but most of all, we're called to come to the foot of that cross and seek forgiveness. And that's the sixth point. You may fail again, and possibly again, but don't stop aiming for freedom. In Christ, we have the opportunity to live our lives freed from the power of sin because we are in him and under his lordship. We are no longer obliged to fulfill the desire of the flesh. Now, I don't know what your temptation is. And in many ways, that doesn't matter. But I do know that many people will be struggling. And I just want to tell you that when you come back to Jesus, he forgives fully. We can look in John 8, 11, the story of the adulterous woman about to be stoned. At the end of it, Jesus asks this woman where her accusers are. And they've gone. And he says this, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. And that is where we need to be. When we fail, we seek forgiveness. Jesus can turn to each of us and say, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Move on. Don't go back to what you've done and condemn yourself. Don't go back and revisit that, that, that issue, but move on. Instead of looking back to bash yourself for giving in to temptation, realize that you can actually overcome temptation by allowing God to change your desires. James 1.14 says, Whatever we desire will tempt us. If we allow God to change our desires, we will always look for things that please him, not ourselves. 
You know, that may take some time, there may be some stumbles along the way, but God's forgiveness is complete and continual. Your past does not have to define your future. You can have a new beginning today. You can bring your sins to Jesus and enter the future as a forgiven child of God who is free to say no to temptation. The more you know about temptation, the more prepared you are to resist it and go stronger as a follower of Jesus. He resisted temptation perfectly and never sinned. We can now face temptation with his grace and his strength. The truth, this side of heaven, is you will always face temptation. But as we learn more about being a disciple of Christ, the more defences we have. The desire to sin is reduced. And we can move forward in the knowledge that when we do slip up, forgiveness abounds. We started with a single verse from Psalm 32. How joyful is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. As we conclude, I want to read the remainder of that psalm. I'm going to read it from the message version because I think it gives real insight into how God treats us when he forgives us. Count yourself lucky. How happy you must be. You get a fresh start. Your slate wiped clean. Count yourself lucky. God holds nothing against you. You are holding nothing back from him. When I kept it all inside, my bones turned to powder. My words became day-long groans. The pressure never let up. All the juices of my life dried up. Then I let it all out. I said, I'll make clean breast of my failures to God. Suddenly, the pressure was gone. My guilt dissolved. My sins disappeared. These things add up. Every one of us needs to pray. When all hell breaks loose and the dam bursts, We'll be on high ground, untouched. God's my island hideaway. Keeps danger far from the shore. Throws garlands of hosannas around my neck. Let me give you some good advice. I'm looking you in the eye and giving it to you straight. Don't be orny like a horse or a mule that needs bit and bridle to stay on track. God defiers are always in trouble. God affirmers find themselves loved every time they turn around. Celebrate God. Sing together, everyone. All you honest hearts, raise the roof. God wipes the slate clean. We need 
to stay awake and pray so that we won't enter into temptation. Matthew 26, 41. But when we do, we need to run back to here and we need to seek God and know that we are forgiven. In a moment, we're going to pray. If you're watching this and you don't know Jesus, the first part of that prayer is your opportunity to be forgiven for the first time. Or maybe you're coming back. This is an opportunity to step back into God's loving presence. We're also going to pray for all of us in this world where temptation abounds. If you've not prayed to have Jesus enter your life before, you may want to pray this with me. If you have, you may want to pray this with me. It is always good to come and declare that Jesus is Lord. Jesus, I'm sorry that I don't always do what is right. And I recognize what you did on that cross and in the days afterwards makes all the difference for a relationship between me and you. So Jesus, I ask that you forgive me. I recognize that you are Lord and I ask that you come into my life. I ask that your Holy Spirit is with me and guides me to show me that I am a loved child of you, God. Lord, you taught us how to pray. And in that is the line, lead us not into temptation. We ask the Holy Spirit to help us Help us to be strong. Help us to be wise when we face temptation. We pray that we always know that we can come running back to you, Father. And that your arms will be open. That your forgiveness will be complete. And in that, we pray that we recognize and we, we can be joyful and we can be forgiving of others. In Jesus' great name. Amen. If you've prayed that prayer at the beginning for the first time or, or you've come back to God and you, you want to connect either with us or you would like us to, to uh, pray with you or, or connect you into other people that can help you on your journey, then please get in touch. Have a look on the website, www.thevinecommunitychurch.org.uk. Drop us an email. Send us a, a, a text. Pick up the phone. The contacts are all on there. It would be great to hear from you. We've got prayer tonight. 
7 o'clock on Zoom. If you don't know the details and you want to join us, that's open to anybody, not just this church, any believer. Um, let us know, we'll give you the details. And on Wednesday, we continue our midweek group with Pete Greed, learning how to pray. It'd be fantastic to see you then. Until then, I pray that you know the presence of God this week. That in the times that you struggle, you know God's strength. And in the times that you need to come back to God, you know God's forgiveness. May God be with you. Have a great week.